Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 Parvati Shallow first appeared on Survivor in Season 13, Cook Islands, as part of the Rarotonga tribe, alongside fellow future All-Stars Jonathan Penner and Candace Woodcock. After a tribe swap, she joined a women's alliance created by Rebecca Borman and joined that alliance in blindsiding JP. Following Jonathan and Candace's mutiny, Parvati aligned herself with them, helping to secure her place in the merge. However, post-merge, Jonathan flipped on that alliance to join the I-24 to vote out Parvati's allies, Nate and Candace. After Parvati won the family visit reward, she made a deal with Yule to eliminate Jonathan at the next tribal council. However, after that promise was fulfilled, the I-24 targeted Parvati and she was sent to the jury on day 36. At the final tribal council, she cast one of four votes for Ozzy to win, though Ewell ended up securing five votes and the title of sole survivor that season. Three seasons later, Parvati returned to play in Micronesia on Survivor's first Fans vs. Favorites season. She immediately formed an alliance with Amanda Kimmel, James Clement, Ozzy Lust, and Sari Fields. Together, they sent home Johnny Fairplay and Yao Man. After a tribe swap, Parvati remained safe thanks to her tribe's streak of immunity wins. During this time, she made deals with Natalie Bolton and Alexis Jones to work together in the game. When the tribes merged, Parvati brought her new allies together with her old allies to eliminate Eliza Orleans. From there, the Black Widow Brigade was born and Parvati played a key role in bamboozling the remaining men out of the game. She convinced Jason to drop out of an immunity challenge with the intention of voting him out, but then joined with Sari and most of the other women in pulling off one of the biggest blindsides Survivor has ever seen by voting out Ozzy. At the final five, they faced their final foe, an ice cream scooper named Eric Reichenbach. In a plan devised by Sari and carried out by the Black Widow Brigade, Eric was convinced to give up his individual immunity win and then promptly voted out of the game. Parvati followed through on her final three deal with Sari and Amanda and was chosen by Amanda to sit in the final tribal council after a surprise final three immunity challenge. Parvati faced a very bitter jury and ultimately won in a 5-3 to three vote. Four seasons later, Parvati returned to compete in Survivor's most celebrated season, Heroes vs. Villains. Originally cast on the Heroes tribe, she was swapped to the Villains tribe at the last minute before filming. Following her performance in Micronesia, Parvati was targeted as a big threat and aligned herself with Russell Hance and Danielle DiLorenzo. Parvati survived through the pre-merge thanks to a combination of weaker links, multiple immunity wins, and an idol played for her by Russell. On day 18, Parvati, Danielle, and Russell pulled Jerry Manthe into their alliance to help take out Boston Rob and to start to gain control of the villain's tribe. Parvati found a hidden immunity idol and kept it a secret from Russell, who soon gained his own idol after JT passed it to him, assuming he needed protection against a woman's alliance that never existed. 
At the merge, Russell gave JT's idol to Parvati, and she played both her hidden immunity idols to protect her debaucherous little villains, saving Jerry from elimination, sending JT home, and securing a villain majority. The villains dominated the remainder of the game until only Parvati, Sandra, and Russell remained at the final tribal council. In the end, Sandra secured her second win, beating out Parvati, who received three jury votes. Ten years later, Parvati returned to compete in Winners at War. This time, she worked with her former rival, Boston Rob, pulling together the ill-fated Old School Alliance. Though she was targeted by both Danny Boatwright and Adam Klein, Parvati survived through to the tribe swap. At the first post-swap tribal, Parvati was unable to secure a majority of votes and became the seventh player voted off and sent to the edge of extinction. Though Parvati was successful in earning fire tokens and peanut butter, she wasn't able to secure the advantages needed in the challenges and lost out to Tyson and Natalie for the chance to return to the game. At the final tribal council, she cast one of four votes for Natalie to win, though Tony ultimately won, becoming the second two-time winner of Survivor. Parvati Shallow holds the record for the most days played by a woman, having spent a total of 149 days on Survivor across her four seasons. In that time, she has won 32 challenges, six of which were individual wins. In Micronesia, Parvati became the first returning player to win a season featuring both new and returning players. She hosted the Survivor Live After Show. She has appeared on The Late Show with David Letterman, and most importantly, appeared alongside Amanda Kimmel in Into the Blue to the Reef. She is a yoga teacher, an executive coach, a public speaker, an author, a genuine gay icon, and one of the best players Survivor has ever seen. Welcome to Drop Your Buffs, Parvati. <laughs> I am <laughs> loving. This intro is really tickling me so much. <laughs> I love the most importantly, Into the Blue 2 with Amanda Kimmel. That's film history. <laughs> It really is. And it's important that it get brought up today. Um, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us. Let's start by asking, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing really great. Thanks for asking. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I mean, you, that was a surprise to me to hear that resume, like 149 days, all those challenges. I was like, are you sure? Are those? Did you double check those numbers? That's they fact. seem really high. <laughs> Oh, if anyone's okay. going to do their research. Well, we're counting the edge of extinction. We're counting your time on the edge of extinction. That's gameplay. That is gameplay. Yep. That was starvation-induced uh, gameplay. So traumatizing every day. <laughs> um, Daily well, trauma. Let's, I, I, yeah, I hear that. Well, we, we, we witnessed it, but you experienced. Excuse me. You, Yeah, you felt that. We were just watching from afar. Let's go back to your early days, though, and then sort of we'll cycle up to your more recent or your most recent season. Now, as you know, a lot has changed about this game. You played the game when it was 39 days. Immunity idols were in their infancy. There were no advantages. Every season had a new location, something that I miss very much. One of the chief complaints that's plagued the modern era of the show is that it's overly complicated. And I'm wondering, having played during a time when it was far less complicated. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think it's gotten pretty distracting. There's there's two, I mean, as a player watching the show, um, 
to me, it's there's overload. It's like system overload. How can you come up with a strategy to get you from day one to the end of the game when you don't know who's got what twists and turns, when they're going to come? Can you uh, really start to develop relationships with people and create the bonds of trust that are required to move a player through each phase of the game? And now the phases of the game are so different. And in my era, when I played, it was like the beginning phase where the tribes were like uh, individual. I mean, the immunity challenges were collective. Then the merge. Then you pl- you played a different way for each phase of the game. It was like three different distinct phases with jury management really coming only after the merge. And now it's like, what is happening? Plus there's all this backstory coming into play as a viewer watching. So it's like, okay, I like, I kind of want to care about these people as people because of the way they're being, you know, because we're seeing who they are in their home life. But then as they're playing the game, it's like, but like, what's their strategy and how are they even thinking about this game? Because it's, it's so all over the place. For me, it's hard to get um, a, a sense of solid ground. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I sort of miss the pre-idol days of the show just because I sort of like just watching people on the beach interact. And I feel like as we now have knowledge is power and shot in the dark and the hourglass, and there's so many aspects to it. I imagine if you're a new viewer to the show, it must be so overwhelming to just try and catch up to what the F is going on. Yeah. And you know what I think? Like, this is what's happening. I think when there's something that's occurred in in your life and you have a new insight and you're like, oh my gosh, I was a person who never set boundaries before in my life. And look at all this crazy stuff that I've created in my life because I haven't set boundaries. And then all of a sudden you have that awareness and you're like, now I'm going to say no to everything. And you just swing in the opposite direction completely. And then you're like, oh, well, that doesn't really work either. Like, I have to say yes to some things to have a life still. And then you kind of like navigate your way to the middle ground. I think that's what's happening. I think Survivor is in this like creative evolution where it's sort of like, let's just try everything and see how that goes and see what people think and what sticks. And is it going to be, are people going to be drawn to getting to know about who these contestants are in their lives? outside of the game more? Are they going to be, is the audience going to be more drawn to all these different kinds of twists and turns? Like what, what now can be pruned away now that we're seeing like everything all at once all smashed in? Like what can be pruned away so that we have a simpler, more direct game that we can all be invested in as fans and former contestants and be like, oh, I want to watch this because I get it. Like I I can see myself playing this or having this experience because like it makes sense to my mind what's totally. the yes. sequence of events. Yeah. 
I like that. Let's prune Survivor, as you say. I like that. Now, CBS's new diversity initiative began with season 41 and has resulted in all casts moving forward to include 50% POC. Though Survivor will have you believe that this is an exciting new change to the game, it's actually one that was implemented for two seasons, the first of which was your first season, Cook Islands, and again the following season, Fiji. In your first season, the tribes were divided by race, which received a lot of blowback from fans and the media alike. But the good side of that season was that you got a season comprised of 75% POC players. What do you make of that twist looking back at it now, especially when compared to the current diversity mandate that was put into effect in 2021? It was so wild then that um, it felt like it should be illegal when I was playing that game. I was like, you can't be dividing people in races. Like, okay, it's cool to have all different types of people and to have more minorities represented in Survivor. 100% I'm down with that. But like separating the tribes and races, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And why am I in the white tribe? That doesn't feel right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you said, is this kosher? Yeah. Yeah. And I was and I was talking to a Jewish producer when I said that. And I was like, can I say that? <laughs> like, I don't even know what I'm saying. But I think it's like, oh, it's amazing. I think it's wonderful to have this kind of diversity in the game. I think it like makes it more entertaining because people pl- from different cultures and different backgrounds do play differently and interact with people differently. And I mean, Cook Islands was a rad season. It really was, especially once we mixed the, the races and formed right. the tribes that were mixed race tribes. And I was like, okay, this is feels a little better for me. But like, yeah, it was so crazy at first. Yule was the, oh, I think one of the only people who really got the twist pregame. When mm. we talked to all the press and all the press came out and they're like, what do you think's go- what do you think's the theme of the show? And I'm like, I don't know. And Yule was Yule knew it, of course. Hmm. <laughs> of course he did. Of course. Icon Yule. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about the Black Widow Brigade a little bit, because so iconic from Micronesia. It was the uh, first really successful all-female alliance that, you know, made it to the final four, uh, had a winner. And your friend Natalie Bolton said during Micronesia, if a woman has the opportunity to think she will outwit a man, they may outbrawn a woman, but a woman will definitely outwit a man, hands down, every time. So... Why don't we see more women follow in the footsteps of the Black Widow Brigade on Survivor? It's so rare that we get an all-female alliance. And like One World is a great example, Kim Spradlin sort of leading that charge. But it really doesn't happen that often. And yet people are scared of it every season. People are terrified. I think... um I think men especially really their their egos are a little more fragile. Let's be real and direct, you guys. Like it's true. Men have more fragile egos than women. And it's it's harder, I think, for a man to stomach being uh beaten by a woman, especially in the society where it's like that kind of talk is like in childhood, that's what you hear on the playgrounds, like, don't be a wimp and you're a girly you throw like a girl all that kind of stuff so it's like really emasculating for a man to be beat by a woman and on survivor it's like that um you're you're playing a game but you're also thinking this is gonna be on tv so then the guys are like i can't 
I can't let myself be taken advantage of by a woman. I can't let myself be manipulated by a woman and outplayed and outwitted by a woman. So now at this point, they've seen what I did and what the women did when we got together. And it was full on like, no, there was no man who stood a chance with that group of women. And so now the men are running terrified. And if they see anyone who's like a young, good looking, maybe charming or warm and friendly girl, woman, they're like, this girl is dangerous. Let's get her out. Like the, it's just, there's this, um, unspoken, unconscious terror, I think, to allow any kind of women's alliance get anywhere in the game. And women now are also afraid of being seen as pulling together a woman's alliance. So there's this like invisible barrier, this invisible wall up where a lot of women come in and they're like, I want to play like Parvati, which gets them cast on the show. And then once they're cast on the show, they're like, but actually I don't want to play like Parvati because if I do, then 100% everyone's going to be gunning for me and I don't know if I can survive that. Mm. And it requires like, it wasn't just me out there in Micronesia, like running the show and, and doing all the work. It was, it was four other really brilliant women who really trusted, like Natalie and Alexis really trusted me and Suri and Amanda really trusted me and Suri and Amanda really trusted each other and Natalie and Alexis really trusted each other. So I was like the middle man and middle woman in between all of <laughs> those women. And I think you have to have that. You have to have a dyads of women who really like have this intensely strong bond with one another that, um, is like inside of the bigger group of women. And that's what made it possible. And I don't think that's easy to create. I didn't create Natalie and Alexis's friendship or trust. I didn't create that with Suri and Amanda. They created it themselves. And then I saw it, pulled it together. And then we did that like incredible witchy work that we did in season 16. Truly incredible. And and holds up so well. I mean, it's just such a, I mean, it's considered one of the best seasons, if not the best for a reason. Now, let me ask you something. There's a lot of rumors out there about this next question, and we're hoping that you can put some truth where there is rumor. We had Ozzy on this podcast, and he said that Amanda confessed to him years after Micronesia that she masterminded his blind side. On the show, we saw you leave Amanda out of the loop on the vote. So right now we have Two pieces of information that do not line up. Can you tell us what is the truth? Okay, this is so great. I'm so glad you're asking this question. Amanda and I, we used to run away from camp separately. And we would meet in the woods like under a bush where no one could see us and no one could hear us. And we would talk. And at one point in Micronesia, we met together under a bush in the woods away from everyone, away from producers, away from cameras, away from everyone. And we had our conversation that like, that really clarified our roles and how we were going to move forward in the game. And I said, we're at some point we're going to, she was like loving Ozzy at this point. And I was like, at some point we're going to have to take him out because he will win this game. If we get to the end, like I voted for him in season 13 because he's good and he's a fan favorite and these fans will eat him up. So we're going to have to take him out. And she's like, okay, I'm down with that. And I said, now, how are we going to do this? 
because it's going to have to be a blind side and we're talking it through. And this was before even the tribe swaps. I think this was like really early on. And she was like, well, I think what we're going to have to do is like, we'll have to be two different roles. And I was like, one of us is going to have to be bad cop. One's going to have to be good cop. And she, and I was like, who are you going to be? And she's like, good cop. And I was like, okay, I'll be bad cop. Like that's who I'm going to be. And I took that on. Like that was my mantle. And I was like, I'll be the one who leads the charge on the blind side. It's like, I'll be the one who like puts myself out there to be vilified. And she was going to be the one who stayed innocent, kept her hands clean. And that was the dynamic that we had throughout the game. So she was a hundred percent aware when we were blindsiding Ozzy. She just played it so well that nobody knew it. And then at the end at tribal council, she did not claim it. And so it was just like, no, like, she didn't get the respect that she deserved, I think, at the end of tribal council because she didn't step forward and be like, I was involved in that. Parvati and I had an agreement that this was the role I was going to play. That was the role she was going to play. And I played you just as hard as she did. And here we are. At final tribal council, she kept playing good cop. And I think that was to her detriment. Wow. You mentioned that meeting under the bushes. Is that something that you can still do today? Like this, because that sounds so genius, right? Like get away from the producers, how, you know, take the game into your own hands. But I feel like something that I've inferred from what other players have said is that it's much harder these days to go off away from the cameras, um, that there was much more freedom in the earlier seasons to kind of explore the island. If you were to go back today, is that something that is still possible that you can run away from the producers like that? I mean, I did in season 40 just because I was sobbing for two weeks straight that I had left my child. So it is possible. Um, Rob, like Rob and I attempted to do that, but they were chasing us the entire time. Like they don't want to leave either of us out there. So I was like, they know that I'm like a runaway fugitive. So they're like, all right, keep eyes on her. And then Rob, of course, like they're just following him no matter what, because he's like such a star. So yes, it's a smaller, um, it's a more contained island now. And the camera guys and the sound people, like they know the ins and outs of that island. They have walkies. They're talking to everyone. So if somebody goes off and they're gone, like say they're going to the bathroom, right? Like you'll say, oh, I'm going to Coconut Grove, which means you're going to the bathroom and the producers, nobody will follow you. And then if they see that someone else has also, quote unquote, gone to the Coconut Grove, then they'll get suspicious and they'll come looking for you together. So I, I do think it's more challenging to do that. And I don't know if it's as rewarding to do it now either because like – the producer, everyone's so woven in and it's such a codependent scene out there where it's like very difficult to make independent decisions. It's really difficult to have the kind of bond that Amanda and I had in season 16. Like now, flash forward, the way the game has evolved, I don't think the, ga the game supports that kind of bond anymore. I mean, we saw Shannon Ricard try to pull it off and like, look what happened to them. They both melted down. It just did not work out. So I think when you have two very strong strategic players now, at this point in the game, they're going to come a time where they're like, I got to vote this person out to have it on my resume that I blindsided my number one. Like, I would never have done that to Amanda. And if I had done that to her, it would have blown up my game completely. And if she would have done that to me, the same thing would have happened. Because we had to be 
a tight two to get through the way that we got through that game in that kind of context. It's not the same anymore. It's so Mm. different. Well, you and Amanda were so magical together on Micronesia. And something that I've always wondered is why that couldn't work out on Heroes versus Villains. And of course, you started on different tribes, but I really expected once the merge came that there would be that spark again, and it just wasn't there. So I'm curious, did you have any conversations with Amanda before flying out to Samoa to play Heroes versus Villains? And, and why do you think that you just couldn't come together that season? I'm like thinking back, did I have a conversation with her? I don't think I did. She and I, we like, we didn't really connect after I won Micronesia. Like our friendship just fell apart. She was with Ozzy and she, Ozzy was like, this is my prize. And Amanda was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm with Ozzy now. And it was just sort of like a ho-hum a surrender. Like, I think she was very disappointed because she lost back to back China and then Micronesia and she thought she won both. And I think she was devastated by that. And, um, and I was totally out of, I was like so out of touch with myself after I won season 16. I, I had survivor's guilt. I had so much psychological trauma that I had to work through. And I wasn't in a place of even considering, oh, how do we, how do I repair this friendship? So both of us, we just, we just split. We just went our separate ways and we didn't connect. And so when we got back for Heroes Villains and a lot of stuff happened in my life, in my personal life too, that just was heavy, crazy stuff. Um, so when we got back for Heroes versus Villains, we hadn't spoken in a year probably, or maybe we had, but just, you know, very basic surface level stuff. And there was a lot of baggage of like, I just felt, I felt really unwelcome by her whole tribe. And I felt there was a strong connection between her and JT. And I knew about how her connections with men were previously in Survivor. So I was like, oh, maybe this is sort of an Aussie thing that she has going on with JT. I felt it out at the merge. And I just felt like she's just not being honest with me. I think there's a part of her that for sure wants to beat me. I can't really trust that she's going to be the girl that I worked with so tightly in Micronesia because we're so different now. And so much has happened between then and now that I couldn't trust that she wouldn't just, you know, lie to me and then take me out to like have it Mm. on her resume and then to get to the end and and rewrite history essentially and be the one who wins in the end at that time. Mm. So I was like, I, I gotta vote her out. That makes sense. I mean, it makes total sense. Every time I rewatch that season though, there's a part of me, do you ever watch a movie and you're like, gosh, I hope this ending is different this time, even though you know, it's not going to be, I'm always just like, you know, there's always the what if, what if, and you know, Amanda remains a big question mark for many people. I know she is one of Sean's favorite players of all time, if not favorite. And she was one of the biggest stars to emerge from the show ever, but has been largely erased due to a 10 year absence on the show and no social media presence at all. I'm wondering what you think made Amanda pull away from the show. My sense is that her experience on Heroes versus Villains soured her overall journey, but many of us, I think no one more than Sean, are clamoring to have her back and at the very least have her back in the Survivor-verse, if you will. Mm, I think Amanda's brilliant. 
She is she's an absolutely brilliant strategist. She's w- one of the main reasons I won season 16 was because of her brilliance and how well we work together. And um, I think like from my own, I can't speak for her, but I can speak for myself and from my own experience going through four seasons of Survivor, she went through three in a really tight time period. I went through three in a tight time period, but I never did two back to back. And she was young. We were both young. She was probably the same age as I was when I first played. So early 20s. At that point, you're forming your identity. Like, who are you if you're not a child anymore, if you're not serving to please and impress your parents anymore? Who are you? And you play Survivor. And Survivor brings out this aspect of um, a contestant that's like, am I a bad person because I'm lying. I'm manipulating. I'm strategizing. I don't trust anyone. I'm in this place of like separation from my essence, which is, you know, like for me, I'm like playful and loving and light and really want other people to succeed. I'm a life coach. I'm like, I really want other people to do well in their lives. And I'm on Survivor and I'm like, I have to crush you. And I have to beat you in order for me to win. And you can't win if I win. I have to win. It's so me versus you and so competitive. It's very, very traumatic psychologically. And then physically, on top of that, you add in you're not sleeping, you're not eating. You're like your body goes into complete scarcity, starvation mode. So it just reinforces the psychological trauma. I'm like so ready to write a book about this. But anyways, so it's like putting, yeah, it's heavy and it's like, it's intense. And for me, what, what I required coming out of that was some distance to be able to just get my feet back under me to start to come back to a place of, well, who am I? If I'm not Parvati from Survivor, if I'm not this competitive cutthroat Black Widow who will you know, do anything to win and at, at any cost, who am I? Because that doesn't feel good being that person. But at least for me, I won. So I was rewarded by, you know, doing all those crazy hard things so I could justify, oh, that's why I did all that stuff. And you know what? I got something pretty extraordinary out of it. So it wasn't like a whole big failure and I'm not just like a total whack job of a person. And I think for Amanda, she played her heart out. Like, Sean, you know, you're a fan. She played her heart out in China. She did the same thing in China with Todd that she did with me in Micronesia. She made that really tight alliance. She wrote it all the way to the end and she lost. And it was heartbreaking for her. And then she did it again and she lost. And like, Doing your very best and not being good enough is hard enough. Doing your very best on national television where everyone can criticize you and tell you how stupid you are for making the mistakes that you made when you're 23 and you went through all that trauma that I just described described to you, like that is enough to make anyone disappear off the face of the planet. And then she did it again. For heroes yeah. versus villains. <laughs> so like, okay, girl deserves a break. And she probably I was going to say, some- when you put it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you. It's intense. It's so intense. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about your win for a moment in Micronesia, because when it aired, I think it was an iconic win for the girls, the gays, and the theys. But they're actually, I remember 
when it aired, there was quite a bit of backlash towards your win. And I mean, we know the Survivor fandom can be a little toxic. I think we're still seeing that today, unfortunately. But I'm just wondering if you can contextualize your win for us, because I think history has rewritten what it was like, right? Because at some point, there was a shift in the perspective on your win and where you became a legend. But at the time, that was not, I think, the fan reaction you were getting. Correct me if I'm wrong. But what was that like for you when you won and uh, in the moment? And when do you think that shift happened in terms of sort of uh, the the revisionist version of, oh, now we now we celebrate poverty. Yeah, right? It, it, that's exactly how I experienced it. When I went when I won, I was in a dark place because I was getting so much criticism and backlash from going from season 13 when I was the flirty girl and already getting a bunch of backlash about that and being like you're a bad example for women and blah blah blah. That happened. And then season 16, when I was like, all right, I'm going to do me and get all the girls together and vote out the fan favorites. People loved James, loved him. I mean, he's a sweetheart. He's what's not to love. People loved Ozzy, loved him. And I voted them both out. Or like, pretty brutally. Eric, little sweetie. I mean, full on dagger in the back, blindside of that little sweetheart. It was like a little ice cream scooper and people were like, how dare you? How dare you use the power of your womanhood to to take advantage of these sweethearts? Like, look at these wonderful men. And it was just like, wait, hold up. Like, that's what the game is. And I'm sorry, I learned that on season 13 from playing this game. And Jeff Probst is a man. All the producers are men. The sound people, it is a predominantly male culture on Survivor. Still to this day, there's one female EP. All the rest are men. There's like a couple of female um, camera sound people, mostly men. It's an intense, like very grueling physical um, job. Art department, mostly men. Challenge department, mostly men. So for me to do what I did... And for the women to do what we did together, I think what happened was we, um, it was like you dredged the bottom of a lake and you're like, oh, look at all this debris and all this trash. And oh, look at all these dead bodies down here. Like people are terrified. They're like, where'd those dead bodies come from? Oh my God. <laughs> like, oh, you did this because they're now getting in touch with their own fear. Like, oh. Women are powerful. Women have this kind of power. Women can come together and do this thing that's like actually shouldn't have ever happened. Like those men should have seen this coming. They're smart. They're savvy. They're strong. Like James is the strongest person on the planet. Eric is like the sweetest and he was great at challenges. He should have hands down won all every challenge to the end. But we got him to give up his immunity neck. People were freaked out. I think what happened was we triggered a lot of um, a lot of fear of like this could happen to me, and then everyone sort of like I was getting the scapegoat. I was like getting the people were projecting, dumping all of that fear and anger and putting all the blame on me as like you did this. And I was like, we held up. I was not alone, but also. <laughs> But also, this is like really amazing. So for me at the time, I was 25 and I cared a lot about being liked. I mean, I still care about being liked, but to a lesser degree. So 
I was like, everyone hates me. Oh my God. It was horrible. It was really, really hard. And then I did heroes versus villains. And I had the experience of the jury hating me. And it was, um, it felt very similar to how I had been, what the kind of attention I'd been receiving already from winning season 16. It was like, now the jury for season 20, the majority of the jury was um, giving me the same kind of feedback as I had been getting from the public and the fans of Survivor. So it was like, oh my gosh, it's like still happening. It's still true. And then when enough time had passed, maybe it was a few years had passed and people could watch those seasons, 13, 16, 20, in sort of a clump. The end, enough more time had passed that people had seen how other people play the game and there wasn't much happening in the way that like I had played and the way I had win, won and the way the women had gotten together and done that. And even on season 20 at the, like being the underdog and everyone coming at me and then still getting to the end and not winning, I think me not winning helped turn the tides for a lot of people's public perception of me where it's like, now we're allowed to really celebrate her because she's now, um, I like had a fall from grace. So it wasn't like I was perfect and then people could hate me. It was like I was this extraordinary winner at one point in time and then I was robbed. And because I was robbed, now people can offer their love. Now people can offer their condolences. Now people can celebrate me because I had this like missing piece, right? I like wasn't whole anymore. I think that says a lot about society. I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's ultimately good, but it's really awful that it took that to get people there. And I can't help but feel like the patriarchy really rears its head in terms of uh people's perception of you in the negative and, and, and needing that time to look back at it with a better perspective. Now, we've sort of been talking about this, but as someone who was explicitly labeled a villain by the show, have you noticed a shift from editing players as either heroes versus villains? I mean, one thing Sean and I have talked about in our recaps for 41 and 42, and even in some of the late 30 seasons, it seems from my perspective that you get a lot less villains in general. You get more sort of even-keeled players or you get characters like Jonathan, for instance, who are heroic at one turn and then villainous in another episode, but kind of waffle in between. But you don't get those Russell types anymore. You don't get Brandon Hanses, et cetera. Do you think that's a conscious decision from the show? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I do. I think that, um, well, I think Jeff is you know, he's the executive producer now, and he's also the host of the show. And Jeff is like really psychologically attuned. Like he is so um, perceptive and comprehensive in the way that he like synthesizes personalities and information and puts like, like he can see, I think, where the Survivor fans' heads are going and what people want as far as in their winners. And people don't want someone who's just like a one-dimensional flat player anymore who's like doesn't have any kind of depth. And we all know for 
from our own experiences, there's points in our lives where we can be really heroic and really loving and generous and altruistic. And sometimes we can be in like our shadow where we're really mean and nasty. And like myself included, we all have those aspects of ourselves. And I think what Jeff wants to do with the show is have the winner represent the fans. So like, I think that's what's happening with the evolution of Survivor, where it's less pigeonholed around casting. And as they're moving towards more diversity in the casting, um, like physical uh, signals of diversity, right? Like skin color and um, sexual orientation and gender and all that. They're also moving towards psychological diversity, where now there's more fluidity around like, what kind of person is this person? And can I fall in love with this person even if they have these darker qualities sometimes or express these um, shadowy, more shallow aspects of themselves? Like, can I accept that in this survivor player or the survivor winner? I think it's pretty cool how they're doing that. That's my take on it mm. anyway. Yeah, there's something about that that's very old school survivor. Like that comes back to the social experiment of the early seasons where, I mean, you look at season one, I mean, lots of people had different feelings about Rudy, Richard, Sue, like that. those are complex people, right? That you can love at one turn and hate at another turn. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes reality TV great, in my opinion. So I'm glad that they're back at that. But let's go back to your robbing at Heroes versus Villains, you're being robbed. And I have to be the first to admit that people who are uh, consistently listening to our podcast will have now heard us say that Courtney was robbed, that Jerry was robbed uh, in our interviews with them. But I also have to say that Parvati was robbed. <laughs> you know, there were so many iconic figures in that season and the, and the gameplay was at such a high level uh, that there's just so many moving parts and so many what ifs. You know, we talk a lot about the what ifs of Survivor. And I think there are so many what ifs in Heroes versus Villains. And I'm wondering whether you play out those what ifs and sort of under what circumstances you could have won. Was it like, did I not cut Russell, you know, soon enough or not distance myself from Russell soon enough? Should I have kept Courtney over Sandra at that pre-merge vote? Uh, you know, do you play those situations out? Do you have a scenario in which you win? Um, I find that going back and polishing up the past is a very painful process that leads me nowhere. So <laughs> I do my best to avoid that. But I know that there is such an allure for survivor players who didn't win to go back and polish it right. And they're like, oh, and let me just change this and do that. And then history's rewritten and look, now I've won. And it's like, once you get back to your present moment, you actually realize that was just a dream and you actually didn't win. I will say though, I did my very best to keep Courtney in the game over Sandra. Like it just wasn't an option. I couldn't push hard enough to do that and stay safe. I couldn't do it. So I did end up sacrificing Courtney and Sandra, like me staying with Russell, I felt like that was my only option, my best option. It was a total insane person to work with. And like, we definitely butted heads many a time, 
but I, I saw him as my best road to the end. And if there was anything that I didn't do that I think I could have done would have been try to get somehow work with Jerry to get Russell to vote out Sandra at the very end. Um, I didn't think I had enough social collateral with Jerry to like really trust her to, for me and for me and her to work together where she wouldn't just go to Russell and be like, Parvati's trying to, you know, flip the script and get the power and you should vote her out. And she's telling me that you're going to vote me. Like I, di- I didn't really see another option. I was like, Here, this is it. Like the powers in Russell's hands, he's going to take who he's going to take. I worked as hard as I could to convince him that if Sandra got to the end, she would win. And um, I saw that like every time we would go to tribal council, I would see the jury's faces when I would speak and they were like, and when Russell would speak, they were like vomiting in their mouths. And when Sandra would speak, they were laughing and leaning in. And I was just like, it is so clear. Like, Russell, are you not seeing this? They adore her. They find her hilarious. Like, she is. She's funny. Like, she is likable. She hasn't, she's been against you this entire time. Anyone who you've burned is going to vote for her. And he was just like so caught up and he thought he was going to win that he was just like, no, Sandra's pathetic. No one's going to vote for her. And I was like, she's not. She's not. So at that point, I just surrendered. It was really hard for me. It was a hard pill for me to swallow, like not having enough power to make that final decision. Cause if I had gone up against Jerry Russell and me, then it would have been a different story. Like I'm pretty sure I would have won that game. Um, but it's also like, Oh no, I do think things happen in life. Everything that happens in life, I'm not gonna say it happens for a reason, but I say everything that happens in life happens to help me grow and learn. And I have learned so much from that loss that I take it as a win in so many ways. Like actually I do this with most painful experiences that I have in my life. I mine the like shit sandwich for the treasure. I'm like, there's gotta be something edible in here. And I look for it. I dig around. I'm like, okay, I could get some vitamins from this part. And then I just like build myself up through, I build my character through those like really, really painful, difficult experiences. And that was a really hard one, really hard. I mean, I think a lot of people can take something away from what you just said and bring that into their own lives. You know, as we're talking about these first three seasons, they really do play out like a trilogy, right? And coming out of Heroes versus Villains, you had cemented yourself as one of the biggest icons the game had ever seen. Uh, that title remains to this day. And I'm wondering if you ever encounter famous fans or if you ever get starstruck by people that are starstruck by you. Oh, that's a good question. I don't really encounter a lot of famous people. <laughs> but when I was, when I was like in my early days of Survivor, um, I when I was in high school, I was this is so nerdy, but I was obsessed with Chris O'Donnell from Batman. He was Robin. I like loved Same. him. <laughs> so much. And then it turned out he was a Survivor fan. And I met him at one of the part press parties or something or after parties. And I was just like geeking out. Like could not speak. I'm sure I was beat red the entire time, just grinning at him like a goofy schoolgirl. Cause I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're talking to me. Chris O'Donnell. He's so beautiful. From Batman. <laughs> from Batman. <laughs> 
Well, we have a famous fan of yours who actually wanted to ask you a question. You might be familiar with her. I am a huge fan of hers. She is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sarah Michelle Geller. She is a huge fan of yours, and here she is right now. Hi, Parvati. It's Sarah Michelle. Oh, my God. My question Stop. is two parts. What luxury item or items did you bring with you each time you were on Survivor, and why did you choose them? And what luxury item do you wish you really had or that they would let you bring? Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, is this for real? That's not like just some lady. <laughs> Totally for real. She's a huge Survivor fan and her entire family, all four of them, their favorite player, her, Freddie, their son and their daughter, you are their favorite player of all time. Uh, You have no idea how full circle this is. I am dying right now. In high school, I watched every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I imagined I was her. I was slaying vampires every day. My whole family sat down and watched it. Whatever day it was on, we would all get together. My dad would make popcorn. We would watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I am not kidding you. She's like part of the reason why I became who I am. Same. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what question she even asked me. <laughs> She's she's asking which uh, luxury items you brought for your four times out. Because from what we understand, though luxury items were not a part of the game, um, you still were asked to choose them in the event that you won one for a reward challenge. So, so she's asking what your uh, what those were, and then looking back on it now, what you wish you could have brought. Okay, so I think my first. I still can't believe that. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, my God. How do I, like, meet her in person? Like, I want to go meet her family. Are you ever in Los Angeles? I live in Los Angeles. Where oh, you live in Los Angeles. Okay, yeah. I can make this happen. I can connect <gasps> them. Oh, my God. We can We can get you connected, and we can make this happen. Okay, let's do it. I mean, it's funny, you two share so much in common as being like these like badass female heroines. Like there's a lot of parallels between Parvati and Buffy. Okay, well, seriously, she was my role model in high school. Like that is why I am who I am. Like, oh my God, my heart is exploding. If you could see, it was like, it's like (laughs) confetti exploding out of my heart right now. It's so so funny because Sean and I were like, so we had Sarah um, asked Courtney a question, but not on voice memo, just like asked me to ask Courtney a question. And we weren't sure if like Courtney knew who Sarah Michelle Gellar was, like, you know what I mean? And today Sean and I were like, well, we don't really know if if you're a Buffy fan or we didn't really know if it would register for you because some people just, you know, don't know various celebrities. So I'm so heartened that you not only know her, but are equally a fan of hers. Obsessed. Like, completely in love and truly, like, probably considered being a lesbian in high school. Because I was like, am I I a lesbian? Because I love her so much. And, like, I'm so drawn to this broody badass woman. Like, (laughs) it was was a big question for me. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God. Um, Okay, so back to the question she asked. I... um, Probably brought a journal for my first luxury item. I have journaled like ever since I was like can remember. I always had a little secret diary with like a gemstone on it and little whatever. So that helps me like process things. I'm sure that's what I brought the first time and they never gave it to us. The second time I was like, 
I mean, I know they're not going to give it to me, but if they did, things would get wild. So I wrote um, a handle of vodka the second time, which shows you where I was at in my life at that point in time. <laughs> and I did not get that. <laughs> Third time. That would have been amazing, though, if you'd won and they just were like, Jeff just brought out a big handle of vodka and was like, here you go, Parvati. Here's your reward. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, oh my gosh, party time. And like, yeah. you're so, you're starving. So, I mean, I was 25. I was like a Hollywood girl at that time. I was doing bottle service before I played Survivor and nightclubs. I was a cocktail waitress, a little bit of a party girl. And I was like, well, if we do have alcohol, things are going to get pretty crazy and that might help my game. I don't know. Let's see. Totally. Um, yeah, never happened. They like to hand that out in like measured doses. So mm. <laughs> they would never give a whole handle. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go big with this one real big. <laughs> <laughs> and then my last, I don't think I even put one for the last one because I was like, they're never going to give it to me. But if I, w- if I could have anything, I think I'd want like, I'd want like, um, some kind of like, like, shower kit like a toothbrush with toothpaste and floss and like a mask like sheet masks oh my gosh can you imagine Mm. and a nail file oh those kind of things are like oh my gosh that's gold because you're so dehumanized playing survivor it turns you into an animal you're eating with your hands you're sleeping in the dirt I mean, I watched one scene of season 40 and they showed night vision of us sleeping with our buffs over our heads and there was like a spider on someone's head and I looked closely and I was like, that's my head. Like that is my head with the spider on it. Cool. Cool. Glad I didn't know that. My God. (laughs) So you just become like a complete animal. So anything that would bring me back to humanity, like... I think I probably would have really enjoyed that. Like a towel. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah. All right, Sarah Michelle Geller, there you have it. Parvati responds to your question. And I look forward to the day that I broker a meetup between the two of you and the internet gets a selfie out of it. And that will be the day. Best friends forever. <laughs> Me and Sarah Michelle. Buffy. <laughs> two slayers. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love this so much. I cannot wait. I want to have a themed birthday party with me and her. I love that. I'm turning 40 this year, so I'm like, I got to go big. Maybe I have a Buffy party. I love, I mean, listen, she'll come by. It can can happen. They're really, really big Survivor fans. And it's funny because when we were first talking to her, when we started the podcast, we were like, oh, who are your favorite players? And remember, Sean, her list was like very detailed. Like it wasn't just like the expected players. It was good. Yeah, we were like, okay, she's not just like, you know how there's like those fans when it's like, you know, they're all going to list you, they're all going to list Sandra, they're all going to list Rob, et cetera. But she had some deep cuts and we were like, oh, she's like, she watches the show. So anyway, we will make that happen. Did she list Coach? (laughs) I'm curious. That's a good question. Sean, do you remember? I don't remember Coach being on the list. (laughs) I don't remember, but wait, why do you ask? I don't know. I love Coach. I feel like he doesn't get as much, you know, celebration. 
I would say yeah. coach falls into that similar category as Amanda only coaches on the internet still, but in the sense that like so much time has lapsed between his last season, um, that despite the fact that he was such a huge part of the show, I mean, the same can be said of Jerry. She was survivor. And for us, she is survivor, but because it's been so long since she's been on for so many people, it's like, they don't remember her, especially people that only know modern survivor all the more reason we need this legend season to come around, which we have Courtney and Jerry on record as saying they are down for legends. We'll get to that in a little bit. But anyway, Sean. <laughs> Sean. Yes. So, well, let's talk winners at war for a moment because I'm just curious. I mean, it was a, a, an interesting cast. I think there was some big omissions for, for me personally. I'm wondering what you thought when you found out the cast. I mean, I don't know if it was you sort of found out early as people were calling each other and trying to pregame. But curious whether you had any surprises out there uh, about who was out there and whether you, uh, uh, whether there was anybody who wasn't out there who you think really deserved to be there. I was surprised Richard Hatch wasn't there. I was really surprised about that. I thought maybe that was a bit of a liability and CBS was like, we're just going to let this one slide not mm. open ourselves up to that. Um, yeah, like some of the winners from the earlier seasons, like weren't represented. And it was so many winners from new seasons. Like I hadn't even watched, I don't think I even watched Nick's season where he won. So I was like, who is that? Like a couple <laughs> of people. I was like, Maria, why are you here? I think even uh, people that did watch Nick's season might have said, who's that? Who, what? <laughs> It's happening with you. Yeah. I, remember when, I remember when Tyson got, gave me the, um, whatever that medallion thing was from the Extinction Island. And I was like, what is this thing? This isn't an immunity idol. And I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do with that. And then I was like, well, I didn't even know that Nick had used it because I didn't remember his season. Like, I didn't even really watched it. So I was like, shoot, that was kind of a missed opportunity for me, but... I had been in like a whole different phase of my life before they called me for season 40. Like I just had a baby. So I wasn't really involved in all the phone calls, the pregame phone calls. I knew Ethan was going back because he and I are dear friends. And um, I think I knew Rob was going back. I was shocked Amber was there. Totally shocked. I was like, no chance they're going to leave their kids and both of them be out here. So that was a, that was probably my biggest surprise. For that season and that there was just so many of the newer winners that were there right yeah i mean i think it really i for my perspective it really soured the season on the whole because i'm such a fan of the first 20 seasons i really am like a devout old school fan of the show and it felt like it was weighted so heavily towards new school players and you know you mentioned richard but also tina i think was a huge omission and just i really wanted jenna morasco back i mean there were so many players i was really hopeful to see back tom for instance i was so surprised by so you know you mentioned you had just had your daughter you were sort of uh, I think Survivor was probably not your number one priority at the time. What was the convincing factor for you? Because from what I've heard in past interviews, you were initially a no. Oh, yeah, it was a hard no. They called me. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say something about what you just shared about the older winners, because I think what they were trying to do with season 40 was create new legends 
from the newer players. So I think that's why they weighted it so heavily because they wanted fans to be more invested because the older winners are like really getting older. Like, <laughs> they're like, really getting a lot older. Um, so I think CBS and Jeff and everyone's looking forward toward the future. Like who are going to be our new crop of like legends that our fans are going to be, get behind and really root for and cheer for and that we can have back for these new, more like returning sort sort of like all star seasons, I think that's why they did that. But anyway, um, I was a hard no when they called and asked me because I was probably literally breastfeeding my daughter as they called me, and I was like, "That would be so crazy to do." Like my baby is six months old, I haven't exercised in a year and a half. <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> like, currently feeding a human from my body. How would I ever possibly go do that? And I, I was like drinking from a fire hose when I became an, a mom. I didn't know what I was doing. I was in over my head. I had like serious anxiety, like really. And I didn't know what it was. I was like lunging out of my skin every time my daughter would make a peep at night. So I wasn't sleeping. I was ragged. And then I'm like, I know what Survivor does to me. I'm like, I can't do that and be a mom. And also I was in this just oxytocin love bubble hmm. with my baby. Like the chemicals coursing through my body were like love and giving and just feeling so completely connected to all of life. And I was like, how could I even remotely shift into competitive, like cutthroat survivor poverty from this place? It seemed like too far of a leap. And at that point I was so attached to my baby. I was like, nothing, nothing could ever pry me away. So I was like, no way. And then, I mean, it didn't take long for this little seed to like sprout in my mind, probably a week to be real. Um, I was like, ah, I'm going to be missing the winter season. Like, no, I can't. And like, I knew Ethan was going, I was like, oh God, it's going to be so fun. And oh my gosh, like just a chance to remember who I was and am before I had a baby. And so this part of me kind of grew and grew and I talked it through with my life business coach at the time. I talked it through with some of my friends and and family and I was like, okay, like I kind of want to do it. And then I started thinking, what would it take for me to do it? And then once I started thinking that way, it was like the gap closed. <laughs> so I was on a plane to Fiji. Wow. <laughs> Bye. Which was the most terrifying thing in the world because as I was leaving my daughter's dad, John, he was like holding her and he was dropping me off at the airport and he was like, so what do I feed her? And I was like, <laughs> like I hope you're kidding. That's not a funny joke. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. 
we're very glad that you were there. I, had you not done it, I think it would have been a very challenging season to continue forward with, being that the options were quite limited, um, you know, in terms of there just being a lack of female winners in compa- comparison to male winners. And so I, on behalf of the fandom, we're thankful that you did do it. Um, a few last questions before we let you go. So Sean and I, in our recaps of 41 and 42, we can be pretty critical of Jeff Probst. We love Jeff Probst, but we have some, we recognize some shortcomings with Jeff Probst when it comes to his hosting and the shift in the show as to when he became a producer of the show and and whatnot. And you, we don't know Jeff Probst though. You know Jeff Probst, you've known him for a long time. And I imagine you've seen an evolution in Jeff Probst, uh, both on the show and perhaps privately. And I'm just wondering, um, how you see that playing out. The Jeff Probst of season 13 versus the Jeff Probst of season 42. Do you, the difference that I'm speaking to, is that something that you too notice? Well, yeah. I mean, I think most people who are growth oriented people will evolve and change and be different through different times in their lives. Like I am not even close to the same person I was when I played season 13, not even remotely that person. And I barely knew Jeff then, but I always saw him as he's very serious and he's very devoted to quality. He wants the show to be the best that it possibly can be. He wants to be the best that he possibly can be in every arena that he's in. I think he's a highly ambitious person in that way. And I think he's also fascinated by psychology. I think he's like a people person at heart. And he's also like one of those people who sees the potential in a human being and in humanity as a whole. So the social experiment aspect of Survivor like really feeds that part of Jeff, I think. And when he transitioned, like when he was on season, when it was season 13, like it was like Jeff the host and Jeff, like you could tell, I could tell that he, that's what he cared about. He wanted to succeed and excel as a host. He wanted to be the best host. He wanted to ask the best questions. He wanted to know what was going on to the best of his ability. But he also wanted, I think he wanted to be distanced from some of the information so that he could challenge his own um, powers of intuition and his own like hosting capabilities. And he, and he really refined that, um, in his own ability to like tune in and sense at tribal council, what people are not saying. And he can just, he can look at someone and break them. I've seen it happen. And I'm like, that's why on season 40, on season 20 with Danielle, I was like, we're going to tribal council. Keep your mouth shut. Do not let Jeff break you. He's going to try. He's going to do the best he can to break you. And you're going to want to give him what he wants because you're going to want Jeff to like you. But do not fall for it. And what did she do? He turned his head to her and she just (laughs) melted down. And I was like, no. (laughs) He's so good at that. He is like really, really, really gifted at it, what he does at Tribal Council. And I think now he's just taken it into this arena of, kind of blurring the worlds of talk show 
and that like aspect of Jeff, like, you know, he had the Jeff Probst show a while ago that didn't really take off. So I think that now that he has this opportunity to diversify the cast, to get backstories, to get people's like life story involved in now the gameplay of Survivor, he's weaving that in. And I don't know if it 100% works for me yet. We'll see, like kind of like like we said, like what gets pruned away. But I, what I do appreciate about Jeff is that he's willing to take risks like this, and he's willing to give it a shot. And he's he's not alone. He has this team of really brilliant producers and supporters and people who are around him. And he's operating in this constraints of like you have to get the network to approve it. Like you have to give them what they want, the advertisers, the sponsors. So. I think Jeff does a really, really good job of navigating those bureaucratic arenas, and he also keeps putting his own um, his own taste for like continuing that social experiment. Like, what is it going to look like? And so, you like this is what we have now. This is the iteration of Survivor that we have now that is blurring the lines, as I see it, of Jeff Probst, the talk show host, with Jeff Probst, the Survivor host. And now we're having both those worlds kind of meld together. And like I think it's giving him an opportunity to experience that part of himself that he really didn't get to complete and fulfill at that time. Now he has the power to do it, and he's trying it out. So let's see how it goes. Mm. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. We'll see. Yeah. Season 43. I'm very curious to see what's what sticks. They've thrown everything at the wall and we'll see what sticks. And I think uh, Jeff's Jeff's one of those things too, all the things that he's trying. So we'll see. Uh, we talked about, <laughs> he's not on the wall, just some of the things he's trying are on the wall. Uh, so, <laughs> so we talked about a legend season, long rumored, you know, I don't know whether it's going to happen. And Jeff has talked about, you know, not inviting people back preseason 40 anymore. And uh, we'll see if that sticks around too. Um, but let's say all those things aside, let's say we have a legend season, just a couple names, Parvati, who do you want to see there? Rob will be back. Tyson will be back. Kim's Spradlin will be there. Uh, Michelle. Well, I'm like naming everyone from season 40. Courtney, 100%. <laughs> Coach, I want back. James, I would like to have back James. Yes, yes. Have James back. Absolutely. I mean, even Russell. Let's get Russell back in the mix. Okay. Let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what I'm not playing. So let's see what goes down. So Amanda. You are not playing. No, I'm not going to play again. But, and I'm not, just out of curiosity though, <laughs> just correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> You, no, 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 but you, no, no, but you did leave season twenty. I imagine saying that you were fully done. No, I'm just asking. Like you, after season twenty, you were fully done. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. After season twenty, I was never going to play again. Okay, we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Um, well, I look forward to that legend season. I'm not saying you're going to be a part of it. I'm just saying I'm excited for the legend season, and and particularly, you know. <laughs> You mentioning names like James and Courtney gets me so excited because I want to see respect given to some of those early players that I feel are not given their due. And I think that there are a lot of players in the modern era that are given plenty of due that I could I would be fine with hearing less from. But that's just me. Okay, Parvati, before we let you go, one last question. You are a private figure. Excuse me. No. You are a public figure. Not who private. went through <laughs> yeah. very not private you, figure. 
You are a public figure who went through some <laughs> private hardships in the last few years. And I'm wondering how you've managed the necessary boundaries in wanting to let fans in on your journey while also needing to protect yourself and your daughter. And I imagine that's a fine line. Um, and it's something very unique in your position of having this fandom who is clamoring to have an access to you um, while you also have to protect yourself and your mental health and, you know, like I said, create those boundaries. How do you navigate that? Um, yeah, it's definitely been an intense few years. And I think it's been like, for me, there's always kind of, there has been something going on in the background, like, when I played season 20, my younger brother was just getting into like his drug addiction, had a head injury and was in the ICU for 10 days before I left for season 20. And um, I was like going through that before I even went out and started competing on the show and then couldn't talk to my family, couldn't check in with my brother then. So like I've always kind of had the had this dynamic of like, there's some serious stuff going on in my life that I'm like, I'm not avoiding or running away from. I'm facing and handling. And I'm also now in this arena where I'm performing and I'm on. And it's a competitive arena, like playing survivor in that state. So there's this, um, there's a definitely a guarding that I have created for myself to like, protect around exposing myself to any unnecessary feedback or opinions or anything around some of the stuff that's more vulnerable in the moment that I'm processing because I have to have, I know myself, I have to have enough space psychologically and physically and emotionally to, to navigate some of this really big stuff that I'm dealing with. And if I'm in the middle of something, I'm not going to be able to talk about it in a way that is um, landed, grounded, and supportive in any way. Like, it's not going to be good for me to talk about it, and it's not going to be helpful for any anyone else to hear what's happening because it's not complete yet. So as I'm processing and moving through stuff, I will take the time it takes for me to get completion and get clear on, like, what is this? What just happened? And how do I want to talk about it? And do I want to offer more specifics? And it's really like, I get to choose that, you know, like some of the stuff that happened in my life that was made public information, like because of how the system works in the United States. So like news of my divorce was on the tabloids and like on people's Google news feeds and stuff like that. And so that stuff I can't help. Like there's a surrender around that for me where it's like, yeah, people know this is what's going on. Okay. Like I surrender. That's part of life and this is part of my journey. And then like the particulars and the things that I'm going through and working through, some of that I will share in, um, in a broader way on like my Instagram. Like I'll post, I posted a photo of me like sitting on my floor crying, saying like, my heart is breaking because this is really, really hard. And I think it's, I think sometimes it's helpful for people to hear that. Like, you don't have to hear the specifics of my story to like feel seen and heard when I share that I'm, I have a hard time too. Like, because people see me as this like fierce, strong competitor, because that's how people know me from Survivor, 
I do think it is helpful for people to see me expressing vulnerability and me like being willing to share like this is a tough time and like there's something like that's connective like it's like connective tissue for me and the fans that like I you know my people on Instagram that um are following me and that's where I'll share mostly and like in my in the coaching work that I do you know I'll share personal stories when I work with clients one-on-one or when I work with my groups of clients or when I take people on retreats I'll share like I share quite openly about my my challenges and struggles because I think that it's important for people to hear that. Like we are all human and we all go through this stuff and I'm not immune to it because I have this aspect of myself that's an absolute warrior. Like I also have this aspect of myself that's really vulnerable and really able to get heartbroken and, and feel grief and loss and all this intensity that's occurring. So yeah, I mean, the way that I talk about it is like general enough, I think, to allow people to feel connection in a helpful way. That was kind of a long-winded answer, but. I could listen to you talk all day and I will connect uh, yet again. Another parallel between you and the character of Buffy is um, some of her strongest moments on the show are the few moments in which we get to see her cry. And we experience that humanity of the fact that despite the fact that she is the slayer, despite the fact that she is the protector of, of humanity, she's also a human being that gets her heart broken and has to turn in her algebra and, you know, has a mother that she has to care for and has all of these uh, things that tether her to her life outside of saving the world. So, you know, the more we talk, the more I'm like, you are the IRL Buffy, um, which is a fabulous thing. Now, before we let you go, I imagine the people listening are going to be clamoring for more of you. I, I just like, I imagine Sean and I are right now. What are you up to? Where can people seek you out? And I imagine too, a lot of people are going to be like, I want life advice from Parvati. What can people do? Uh, well, I work with groups of people. Occasionally, I'll run um, programs for groups of like 10, 20 people, like small group coaching. And I take people through these really, really incredible life-transforming journeys from where they are now to help them bridge the gap from where they are now to where they want to be in their lives. So people are like creating new jobs for themselves, new relationships, like completely transforming a lot of different aspects of their lives uh, in these coaching containers. Whenever I'm offering those, I will post about it on my Instagram. So follow me to um, know when that's coming. And then you can also get on my email list. I think if you just go to parvityshallow.com, you can sign up for my email list and I'll share there when I'm doing, uh, when I'm opening up those coaching programs. Um, and I'll be leading some, I think I'll be leading, I'm working on putting together a yoga retreat with Jenny from Cook Islands. We're going to be putting together a yoga retreat coming up this fall. So we're still choosing where we want that to be, but that'll be really extraordinary and like so, so fun. So I'm doing, um, more in-person events here in LA and I'll be doing online coaching and then retreats. Those are kind of my three primary focuses and how people can interact with me. Instagram and my um, emailing list are probably the best ways. But I don't see DMs from people if like my settings 
aren't like that. So if I don't follow you, I won't see your DMs. So comment. If you comment, then I will most likely see your comment. And if you're yeah, like, it took I want to be a long time to, to get through to you. But when I did, it was like winning the lottery. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. yes, but we comments, have a mutual comments. friend. Oh, and we also have a mutual friend in New York. Chun. Wait, is that Chun? Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, yeah, he so, and I grew up together in the ashram He told in me. Yeah. Crazy. So his partner, it was my best friend in childhood, and then Chun's now my masseuse. I mean, like, the the small world we live in. What a good spirit. And and then he was like, I saw that he followed you, and I was like, oh, you know Parvati. I was like, are you a Survivor fan? And he was like, well, yeah, I like Survivor, but he's like, we grew up together. Yeah. We grew up together in, like, the craziest place. It was like a Hindu ashram in Florida with a female guru, and it was so wild. So yeah, I, I've loved reconnecting with him because I hadn't seen him in so long or heard from him in so long. And then he was like, oh yeah, the Evan's my friend. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. well, here we are. I know. And, and he's working on a book and I hope that you too, I mean, I feel like you have like 20 books on you and I know you've done your children's book already, but I hope that we will get more from you, whether it be survivor centric or life centric or a biography. I mean, I feel like if there's one thing I'm left with in this interview, and I imagine so many people listening are going to be left with, is it's like, you just want more of you. I think that's why you've played four times and and why people want you on their podcasts. And like, and oh my God, on Las Culturistas, it's like, just we, it's like, there's this desire to hear more of you, learn more about your perspective on the world. Talk Buffy, talk Mariah Carey. I mean, there's just so many, so many topics that- My ladies. Want to hear oh my God, if Mariah Carey was a Survivor fan, my head would explode. <laughs> yeah, well, mine hey, too. Listen, I mean, they pop up in the weirdest places. I mean, like, there are so many times when I post about Survivor where I'll get a random DM from celebrities. And so, I mean, there really are a lot of celebrity fans of the show out there. I imagine you have a lot of celebrity fans you just don't know about. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's it. Well, let's come on well, out. They need to comment, comment, not DM. She's not checking her DMs, folks. Yeah. Comment. Yes. I will randomly check my DMs like, once every six months, and maybe I'll see your DM, but most likely not. So comment. Fair enough. Um, we cannot thank you enough. There's no guest that's ever going to be more requested by our audience. Um, and we just like it's such a thrill to do this podcast and get to be to get to be in conversation with legends. But I don't think there is a bigger legend than you and it's been such a thrill you're like you're the real deal Aww, real deal you. and and parvati like you know in my formative years i was watching you play on cook islands and micronesia and heroes versus villains and so this is a lifelong bucket list interview and so thank you so much for coming and sharing and m maybe one day we can get more in depth into one of your seasons because it's so great to hear the insight and we just i feel like just got to scratch the surface so you're welcome back anytime you want. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. You've asked such good questions and like helped me dig into the Amanda stuff. That was, that's really oh fun. My God. That's fun for me because people don't usually ask. When was the last time you two spoke? Forever. I mean, probably <sighs> the finale of season 20. I don't know. She did fall off the map. No, maybe we like, uh, no, maybe we've uh, Instagram DM'd like in between then and now, because I know she had a baby and I think I attempted to touch base with her. 
and maybe I did and I'm just forgetting. That was back when maybe she was on Instagram and now she's just vanished. Let's see if we can find her. It's like, where in the world is Amanda Kimmel? I know. I'm ready to launch the investigative podcast series. Get her back. Get her on your show. It would be our dream. It just, no one's connected to her. Like we've had various people lead us to some people, but just no one seems to have a connection with her, which I seems like is a choice of hers. I mean, obviously we don't want to knock at the door if the door is, you know, if the door is closed for a reason, but yeah, her and then James, James is also not on social media and seems to be very out of the survivor verse. Oh, James is a, he's a mysterious man. You know, he's a grave digger. Yeah. So he comes and goes from this earthly realm to the spirit world. Listen, another I, Buffy I connection. I'm like, you're my vampire. I love you. <laughs> truly, truly, he has that quality. It's like the brooding. He's like the angel. There's he's a the angel. Quality. Oh my god, you are this. The worlds are colliding in so many ways for mm. me. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch every episode of Buffy. I'm gonna do. There's it. nothing better you could do with your time. This makes right? so much sense. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. I am going to work on connecting you to SMG. She's gonna, it's funny, you're freaking out. I'm gonna text her right when we get off this phone, like off this call, and she too is going to freak out because it's like, she, she, like, you're like, yeah, there's just a lot of love here. So I'm excited to share with her. OMG, SMG. (laughs) OMG, SMG, exactly. (laughs) All right, enjoy the rest of your wet Thursday, and thank you again for making time for us. We're so, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.